0: Welcome, friends. I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, We have just finished at Rochester Life a 12-week series called Launch. And in that series, we focused on the first half of the Book of Acts and how the church launched following the ascension of Jesus. And now we're going to be starting a series that is continuing to look at the Book of Acts, this time the second half, and how the church continued to grow uh, from Jerusalem to all throughout the Roman Empire, from its roots in uh, the Jewish world until it include all the Gentile world as well, and the trials that took place as that happened. And so that's why this eight-week series is going to be called Trials. And that's what we're going to start here this morning. So, the book of Acts, like the book of Luke, was written by the Apostle Luke, and it was written to Theophilus and uh, it records all sorts of different facts of events that happened after Jesus had ascended into heaven and as the church spread out. It's often called the Acts of the Apostles, but I've heard many Bible teachers say that it should really be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who grows his church and who did all these different amazing things as the church was being built. Really, it focuses, this second half of the uh, book focuses mainly on two apostles, and that would be Peter and Paul. And today we're going to be focusing on Acts chapter 12, which is about how the Holy Spirit miraculously uh, broke Peter out of prison. So these events took place around 44 AD, and that's about 10 or 11 years after the church era began. Herod had arrested some Christians and was persecuting them because he gained favor with the Jewish community by doing this. Now, there can be some confusion sometimes about different people in the Bible because there's multiple people with that name, and Herod is one of those. There's actually four Herods in the Bible. The Herod that we're talking about today is Herod Agrippa I. He had Herod for a dad, he had another Herod for an uncle, and he had another Herod for a son. But this is Herod Agrippa I. And he had recently had the Apostle James put to death by the sword. And there are half a dozen Jameses in the Bible. And the one that he had had, the one he had killed was James, the brother of John. And John and James were both the sons of Zebedee. And these are the two brothers that Jesus had called when they were fishing with their dad to come and follow him. And James and his brother John, as well as Peter, made up the inner three, this close inner circle of the apostles that spent a lot of time with Jesus and saw some very amazing things as part of this inner circle. They saw, um, Jairus's daughter raised from the dead. They saw the transfiguration. They saw the grief that Jesus went through in the garden before he was crucified. And so uh, James, who had been put to death by the sword, was very close, part of this inner circle with Peter. And then Peter was put in prison and Uh, Herod's plan was for Peter to stand trial and then be put to death. And again, this was for him to gain favor with the Jewish community. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in Acts chapter 12. So in this setting, Peter is fast asleep. There are Christians who are praying for Peter because they know that he's in danger. And there's the Holy Spirit who is continually at work building his church. And so this is the dark days That this passage starts in. Acts 12 says, About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate." And so this is the dark times that this miraculous prison break takes place. just reading that, you can imagine the difficult time that Peter must have been going through. You can imagine the difficult time that uh, the people that loved him and the churches that he had been ministering in, uh, ministering in, uh, the difficult times that they were going through. And all of this was so that a political leader could gain some favor, right? It wasn't that Peter had done anything wrong. It was just that this would allow Herod to gain some favor with the Jewish community that did not like um, the new Christian church. It was obviously a priority. This wasn't just a small thing that was being done. This was obviously orchestrated by Herod. It says that he had a plan. It says that he had 16 different guards set to make sure that the prisoner remained safe and remained secure. The guards weren't just in the facility, they were actually, some of them, stationed inside the cell with Peter, uh, perhaps to make sure he didn't uh, do any harm to himself, didn't break out, whatever the case. Um, There were 16 different soldiers involved here, um, which sort of makes this all the more miraculous as far as what's going to happen next. So those are the dark times that this passage starts out in. The next phase that we're going to go into, I'm calling that God shows a way. And this is how God showed a way, starting in verse 7. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize that it was actually happening. I want to pause there just for a second. We'll come back to this. But I can't even relate to what's going on because this scripture doesn't give us sort of a blow-by-blow blow of, of how was it that this was happening? You know, how did the angel deal with these guards? You know, Were they somehow incapacitated? Were they distracted? You know, What had happened? Um, it doesn't tell us that, but we know that there are these 16 guards. Maybe not all of them were on duty at the time, but we know that there's at least two inside the cell more outside the cell. There's going to be some some guard posts that we're going to pass, but it's just amazing what's happening here. And the focus isn't on exactly how did God free Peter um, and break him out of prison, uh, but it's clear that God did, that it was a supernatural escape that took place here. Um, it's also interesting, some pastors I, I've heard sort of read into the fact that Peter was asleep and talking about, well, how could Peter be sleeping? And that was somehow a, a sign of the fact that he knew that God would take care of him. I think that's maybe reading into it too much. I think maybe Peter did know that, but he was also a human, and I'm sure he was probably anxious to some degree as well. We don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Um, but we do know that he was awakened as the angel struck him that he was told to get dressed, to get his stuff, to follow the angel. And he did obey whenever the angel told him that. Picking up in verse 10, says they passed the first and then the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And so this prison was outside of the city gate. And so not only had he been uh, let out of the prison, but then he was also let into the city. And this opened up for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Okay? So that's the God shows away part of uh, these events. And then this next part is what I'm calling reality sets in. In verse 11, it says Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And so, Rhoda, this servant girl, knew what was going on, knew the situation that Peter was in, knew that people there at the house were praying for Peter. And so, whenever she hears Peter at the gate, it says, rather than... Opened the door, she recognized his voice and was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside to tell everybody, Hey, Peter is standing at the door. And meanwhile, um, they're saying, You're out of your mind. Uh, But she insisted. And um, then they said, Well, maybe it's his angel. I mean, that's how. Amazing that this prison escape was. They thought it would have been more reasonable answer that Peter's angel was at the front door than it was that it was actually Peter. And so that, that's kind of interesting. Just sort of even though these were people that were committed to praying for Peter and believed that God could um, set him free and work in this situation, yet this was obviously a long shot in their minds that they thought it would more likely to be um, his angel than it was to be him himself. So meanwhile. Peter's back at the gate and he's continuing to knock. And when they finally opened the door and they saw him, they were amazed. In verse 17, he motioned for them to be quiet and told them about how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. So it doesn't give us any more background than that. But it does tell us that Peter shows up. He knocks on the door. Rhoda, which some of you who maybe watched 70s TV shows, you just had a picture flash into your mind. But Rhoda comes, and as she's nearing the door, she hears that it's Peter. And rather than even get to the door, sort of gets flustered and runs and tells everybody else, "Hey, Peter's at the door!" And they're like, "No, he's not. No, he is. He is." He's like, "Maybe his ghost is." And finally, Peter's still there knocking. I don't know. Maybe he hears a commotion inside. I don't know. And she comes back to the door. They let him in. They're all astonished, and he's all, "Okay, keep it down. Keep it down. Now." Peter has just been set free from prison by the Holy Spirit in what's gotta be one of the most miraculous escapes. Not only escaped from the prison, but also got into the city. And I don't think he's wanting this to get um, uh, messed up now by people making a commotion. And so he you know, tells him, all right, let's quiet down. I'll give you the story. Hey, I want you to pass on this message. I'm out. He's going somewhere else where it's gonna be calm. Now, the interesting thing is we don't actually know where Peter goes. And we don't actually hear from Peter for the next six years as far as what's recorded in scripture. We don't know where he was. We don't know if he was ministering to different churches, if he was laying low because of what had happened. Um, That's not clear. But what we do know is that he was broken out of prison in a miraculous way and that he continued to live to do some other miraculous things, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. So he says, um, tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. At dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. When he couldn't find him, Herod interrogated the guards, remember 16 guards, and sentenced them to death. And so all 16 of the guards were killed because they had allowed Peter to escape. Afterwards, it says that Herod left uh, Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Part four we're gonna talk about here is about how God's kingdom advances. It says, now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent on Herod Uh, on Herod's country for food. So the delegates won the support of Blastus, who was Herod's personal assistant. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne and made a speech to them. And the people gave him a great ovation shouting, It's the voice of a God, not a man. And this is interesting because this um, event is also recorded in the extra canonical writings, um, the, the, the non-scriptural writings of a historian named Josephus at the time. And he records these events and, and says that um, Herod came out in this uh, special uh, outfit that was made out of silver and that the line was just shining off of it. And it was uh, very awe-inspiring. And then he gave a speech, which Um, the people did respond to a very powerful orator or speaker. And they thought that he was speaking with the voice of a God and not with man. Um, And it says instantly, this is back to scripture here in Acts 12, verse 23, instantly an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. In verse 24, it says though, what was going on with God's church? So we see at the beginning of this, we had Herod's plan, what Herod had planned to do, how Herod wanted to improve his stock with the Jewish people and what happened as those plans were foiled. But then we also see uh, God's plan and what God wanted to have happen. And it says, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread and there were many new believers. So following this event, Like I said, we don't hear from Peter for the next six years, but over 15 years later, after this prison break, Peter would write a couple of letters that would be included in scripture. So reflecting on what we know about Peter, uh, reflecting that early on in his discipleship following Jesus, Peter was pretty emotionally driven. We can think of the, the situation of walking on the water, quickly followed by the sinking into the water on Peter's part. Um, we think of the time where, Je- where Peter denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. But then we also think, and, and how sad he was following that, but then we also look at how Jesus restored Peter and asked him three times to care for his people, to, to feed his sheep. And so we look at this in Peter's life, and then we see that Peter was, was spreading uh, the truth about Jesus, all throughout uh, the Roman Empire, and because of that, he was imprisoned by a political official for political gain, Um, and he was miraculously freed from prison, as we've just talked about. And what are some truths that the Holy Spirit passes on to you and me through Peter who was miraculously saved in this instance. What are some of those truths that we get that he shared with the world more than 15 years after this great escape? And so I want to look at just a few things following that sort of same outline that we just talked about in that, uh, that passage of Acts 12. Peter speaks to the dark times that all of us have experienced. In 1 Peter 1.14, he says, Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Maybe that's looked differently for you than it has for me. Maybe those dark times before we came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ is different for for all of us. But those were dark times, times filled with loneliness, oftentimes filled with sin, sometimes in sinful um Uh, just relationships and situations that have sort of sinned, had been compounded one after the other. And we can get into those difficult, dark times. And so Peter encouraged folks, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Then Peter reminds us of the ultimate way that God provided a way out of the darkness. It says in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 23, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Going on from there, Peter encourages us to live in that reality that God has made a way out of the darkness. And we're supposed to live in the reality of what God has done. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Peter points then to the inevitability that God's kingdom will continue to advance, and he says in two twelve, "Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judges the world." You know that's interesting. Sometimes we think whenever we're reading scripture. And I don't exactly know where this comes from, but sometimes we get this idea that maybe God can't relate to where we're at or what we've really gone through, that other people in the church can't relate to where we're at or what we've gone through, that the authors of the Bible can't relate to what it is that we've gone through, that we're just in such a dark and sad situation that no one else really knows. We're just surrounded by this loneliness. And even though I can understand the sincerity of that feeling, that feeling is sincerely false. Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way we are, but uh, yet was without sin. talks about how he can relate to what it is like, the human experience that we have, because he was human like us. We just read an example of Peter who Peter here is encouraging people to live properly among unbelieving neighbors, because even though they might be, you might be accused of wrongdoing, seeing your honorable behavior might cause them to come to faith and to honor God. And who better to speak to that than Peter, who went through what we just talked about, um, who was going to be put to death, and who ultimately was put to death. He was ultimately crucified, and uh, church history teaches that he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't find himself worthy of dying in the same manner that Jesus died. So he paid the ultimate price. He can relate to how dark this world can be sometimes probably even more than you and I can. And that isn't a, that isn't a comparison game that we get. Oh, my, my life is so bad or my life is so bad or, you know, who has it worse? It's just that we can understand the struggle that each other goes through. Maybe not exactly on the minute level, but we can understand those feelings, those frustrations, those crisis of faith. And I just want to encourage you that even when you're in your dark time, that God makes a way and that Uh, allow that reality to set in because sometimes what can keep us feeling lonely and isolated from God is we don't let the reality of what he's done set in. We'll say we believe it, we'll accept our ticket to heaven, but then we don't live in the truth of who we are in Christ. And that's an important step that we need to do uh, in allowing his kingdom to advance. So in closing, if you are going through a dark time, I just want to encourage you um, because God will show a way. He might not show a way out of the dark times, but he'll at least show a way through the dark times. And if you're in a place where God is showing the way, to be like Peter and be quick to be obedient and follow his directions. And if God has set you free or delivered you from something, I encourage you to let the reality of who you are in Christ set in, that you are a new creation in him. The old is gone, And you are a new creation and live in the reality of your new identity in Christ. And lastly, allow God's kingdom to advance in your life and through your life. You can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And I want to leave us with uh, just some parting words from 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. Again, the Apostle Peter writing here more than 15 years after this great escape He says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. If you're going through trials, hang in there. We're gonna be going through this series that is focused on the trials that happened in the early church, and those trials continue to go on uh, today and in believers' lives today. And that's why the Holy Spirit spoke through Peter to us that says the importance of enduring the many trials that we face in this life, realizing that ultimately God will show a way out, that we need to live in that reality, and that God's kingdom will advance.